0: Okay, so top 10, and most of these are not in any particular order, but this first one is, the first thing I want you to know, the first thing you need to know is that God loves you. You need to know that, if I only had, if I had five minutes with you, and I could only tell you one thing, and I would never see you again in your life, I would want you to know that God loves you. And hopefully, because of that, it would somehow grip your heart that would make you then want to dig deeper into this person loves you, because think about it. What happens when you find out somebody, you, you remember when you find out somebody loves you, loves you, what do you do? Okay, go, go way back, you know, third grade, second grade, you know, and you got that letter, you know, that was passed across, across the classroom, right? And it said, I like you, do you like me? Check one. Yes, no, maybe, right? And, and so you got that and you're looking at the, the name down there and you say, I don't even know who that is, you know? And you look across the room and you see somebody over there that you've never, you never even noticed before, but you find out, wow, they like me. Now all of a sudden you want to know about them, don't you? You know, I mean, you're intrigued even if you really, you know, even if they weren't too cute, you're at least intrigued, right? You know, it's the same way with God. That's, why, that's, why, that's the most important thing. If you get that, that God loves you. Then it's, it, it's got to tweak some interest in you. That, wait a minute, i got to figure out this, 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 this God that Jamie was talking about, created the heavens and the earth, read, quoted that scripture to us. It, it, that God loves me. It, it's got to make me want. It. And here's the reason I want you to know the, these particular 10 things, starting with this one. Why do I want you to know these 10? Because like we talked about in the, the, the first two sermons of this series, we talked about the 10 commandments. These commandments were not like... You better or I'm going to, it's like, please do this stuff. Because when you do this stuff, then God says, I can bless you. That's why I want you to know these 10 things. Because you're struggling with life. Come on, somebody, give me an amen. amen. You're struggling with life. You're struggling with it. And God says, here's the thing, and and, and these are the things that now for several weeks I've been getting together, ready to share with you. These are the things that, if you'll listen to these things and embrace these things, these are the things that are going to help you deal with life. And the first one is is that the almighty creator of this universe loves you. You, not you, you, individual. you. The the, the God of this universe loves you. You, let's look, Romans chapter five, verse six through eight says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, uh, are you powerless? I mean, don't you feel powerless a lot of times to do anything with your life? Even when you were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. When you were when you were messed up, I mean, when, when Christ died on the cross, He was looking ahead and seeing and your life was a mess. Now, Paul, he's, he's writing here and he's actually talking to, he's talking to people that were alive when Jesus died. And so, what he's saying to them is, 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 You were dead in your sins. You were creating horrible acts. Yet, even in the middle of this, Jesus Christ died for you. I mean, they were alive at that point, but looking forward into the future and seeing us, he knew what we were going to do. Jamie talked about, you know, that some of you may have messed up this week. Jesus knew you were going to mess up this past week. And you know what? He died for you anyway. That's how he demonstrated. His love for us. I, I don't know how many times I've quoted Max Lucado. This, this one little thing. I mean, he, he's got so many things. Awesome Christian author. If, I, if you don't know him, I think David probably owns every single one of the books he's ever written. He says, God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to be just like Jesus. And, you know, sometimes we hear that and we think that, that he's talking about he wants you to, to you know, be holy, holy, holy. Like, yeah, he wants that. Because when you start living right life, then a lot of good things begin happening. But that's not all. Jesus was victorious over everything. There is no one who conquered him. Jesus wasn't killed at Calvary. He gave his life at Calvary. With just a thought, he could have he brought down legions of angels and, and, and could have saved his life if he wanted to, but he gave his life. Nothing. These are the ways that God wants you to be like Jesus more than just living a holy life. He wants you to be victorious. He wants you to have, have, have power. He wants you to have joy. He wants you to have all of these things in his life. He, he loves you just like you are, but he doesn't want to leave you that way. Lamentations, and boy, I quote this one a lot too. Chapter three, verse 22 and 23, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. His passions, or, 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 or you can also translate that Hebrew word to mean mercies. His mercies or his compassion, his love is new every, every morning. When you woke up this morning, no matter how bad you were yesterday, he had new mercy for you today. And no matter what you're going to go through today, no matter what decisions you have to make, no matter, no matter, no matter what, what you're dealing with this week, he, he has new mercy for you today in the middle of this that you're dealing with. God loves you so much. Boy, you must be something special. You must be something special for God to love you. Okay, let's go on to the next one. Now this one, this next one, and we're going to kind of come back to this thought a little bit. But this next one, it's, it's probably more surprising to you than the first one was, and it is that he loves your neighbor and your enemy too. Not as exciting though, is it, to think about, oh, you know, don't, don't raise your hand, but uh, anybody got an enemy? <laughs> I mean, yeah, you got an enemy. Guess what? God loves your enemy too. And sometimes we don't, we, we, we don't like to think about that, do we? God loves my enemy. Yes, he does. You know John 3.16, you've probably heard it. You've, if you've never heard it, you've at least seen somebody holding a sign at a football game or somewhere, right? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. He loved the whole world. That whoever, that's your neighbor, and that's your enemy. He loves them just like he loves you. In Galatians, I'm sorry, in Acts and Romans and Job and Galatians, over and over and over you see these scriptures and I just pull a few of them there where it talks about favoritism. God doesn't have favorites. I mean, you don't show up on Sunday morning and worship him, pay your tithes and and do some good deeds. And God says, okay, I'm going to bless you more than everybody else just because, man, you're my favorite now. You're the teacher's pet. That's not the way it works. It's about relationship. It's about all of that. But he still loves everybody the same. And he wants to reach and he wants to bless and he wants to help your neighbor and also your enemy too. He shows no favoritism. There's a story. I'd like to tell you the story. I don't have time to tell you all the story, but it's in Luke chapter 15. It's a story that Jesus told. Uh it it, it's, it appears to be one that he made up. It's called the prodigal son. Maybe maybe you've heard the story told. In Luke chapter 15, if you go to the Sundays page, you can see, you can click on it, and it'll take you right to the link uh there in the middle of my sermon notes. We're, n- we're not gonna look at it because there's a lot of verses there to 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 just display on the screen. But Jesus talked about this man who, who had two sons, and the man obviously had a lot, and the younger son, he he was kind of tired, you know, he was he was a more rebellious one. He was kind of tired of dealing with, you know, just being the son, he was ready to get on with life. You know, my dad's not going to die for many years. He's in good health. I, I'm never going to have my money. He Went to his dad and said, "Dad, give me, give me my portion of your uh, of your inheritance. Everything you're going to leave to me." And and so his dad went ahead and gave it to him. So he cashed it all in. He changed the assets and the money or whatever. You know, and and he just took off. And he he lived. The Word of God says he lived riotously. That's how Jesus said it. You know, he, he, you know, wine, women, and song, you know, everything he could get involved in, he got involved in until finally he was destitute. He was broke, had nothing left. He didn't even have uh, the means to be able to buy him a meal, you know. So he ended up working just uh, for a hog farmer and he was feeding the hogs. And then he realized, wait a minute, I don't need to go back to my dad's. I mean, the servants of my dad's place, I mean, they're living a whole lot better than I'm living right now. So he went back to his dad and, and he said, Dad, I know I've, I've probably not made you very happy or the way I've lived my life said but could I just come back and work for you and I know I know I've already taken everything that, that's yours that belongs to me and I've already spent it and lost it all but could I just work for you would you let me be your servant and the dad never even pays attention for just even a second it's like he's not even listening to these words that's not what he he wasn't waiting on the on the the, the, the repentance he wasn't waiting on the apology he wasn't waiting on the, him to say the right words immediately he said Bring me a robe and put on my son. Bring me some shoes and put on his feet. Bring me a ring and put on his finger. He fell on him and and he couldn't stop. The way way Jesus tells the story is like he couldn't stop kissing his son's neck because he said, my son that was lost has now been found, has now come back. And it would be awesome if that was the end of the story, but that wasn't the end of the story. There was one more little piece of it. And the other part of it was that he had, remember, he had two sons. And the older brother, he had stayed there and he had been committed and he had done what was right. He didn't try to go off and you know, take his dad's money and go off and do things that his dad wasn't pleased with. He did everything right. And then all of a sudden, here comes the rebellious one home. And now dad's throwing him a party. And, and the older one, it says he got angry. Jesus says he got angry. And he says, what are you doing? He said, I've been here. And I've, you've never even, even allowed me to have just a little bitty party. Now you're throwing this big gala. And his, and his father said, everything I have now, son, is yours because he's already gotten his, so everything I've got left is yours. So why can't you just rejoice with me right now? He, he said, celebrate with me because the son that was lost has now been found. He says celebrate. This is what the father said. Now when Jesus is telling this story, Jesus is obviously laying all this out so we would understand. And he's talking about the father in heaven like the father of the prodigal son. And here's what he is saying. He is telling us that the father in heaven is saying, when you see a neighbor or even an enemy come back to God, it's time to celebrate. Even if you've been, you know, you've been working every single Sunday, you've been being here, you've been paying your tithes, you've been helping load up and, and, you know, and, and set up everything, you've been helping do all that, and then somebody walks in, the Father of Heaven says, celebrate with me. This is my heart, these are the things. And we'd never do that. Would we? We'd we never be upset with God for forgiving somebody that we didn't think was deserving, would we? yeah you know, like, what, what happens if you stand before God at the judgment? seat one day and and you find out that he forgave that little girl in fourth grade that stole your eraser are you gonna be ticked or what well if G didn't call me and ask me for my forgiveness i mean you know that's the way some people's attitude is is how can god free she hasn't talked to me about that i'm the one that was wronged you know, you know we need to grow up a little bit sometimes don't we we're not in the fourth grade anymore or or, or what about that that boy, you know, you you get to the judgment seat of Christ and you're standing there and all of a sudden you see that boy that beat you up in middle school and you realize that God's forgiven him. And you say, I still feel the pain from that, you know, black eye that he gave me. God, and you've forgiven. You for-. you know, we, we wouldn't be that, we wouldn't be that callous, would we? Or we wouldn't be that immature, would we? Or what if we're standing there and we realize that there's a murderer standing next to us? that has also been washed in the blood of Jesus. Or a rapist standing next to us that has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. You know what the Father says? He says, if it happens, when it happens, celebrate with me, because my children who were lost have now come home. We have to grasp this too. We have to grasp this too, that all of us need his grace. And thank God, Whenever he forgives, because if you're you're not careful, you can get lifted up in your own holier-than-thou attitude, and boy, you can think you're the only one that deserves his grace, and you're going to find out, you're going to have a crash, because the word of God says, uh, talks about pride, talks about haughty spirits going before destruction and a fall. So don't forget this, that yes, he loves you, but when you receive that grace, remember that grace is for everybody also, amen? Let me go on, let me go on. This this one, I, 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 I could say, maybe quick but might not be we have an i need to tell you this is important we have an obligation to those we offend do you know you have an obligation to those you offend well what if they offended me first that's not even in here. It's not even characterized that way. If you offend, if we offend somebody as a Christian, we have an obligation to them. This is what Jesus said. This is Matthew chapter five. This is in the middle of what Jesus says. He is teaching on the side of a mountain. And this is what Jesus said. These words are in red. If you open your Bible and you see red, this is what Jesus said. Jesus, the son of God says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them then come and offer your gift here's what he's saying he says whenever you realize when you remember oh i probably offended them go fix it right then what he is saying is if, if right now you realize that well i have offended somebody he's saying get up right now skip out of the rest of the pastor's message go home right now or go somewhere right now pick up your phone, get out of the hall or or call that. that's what he's saying. He said, if you're standing at the altar in your worship and giving your gift, leave your gift right there and go and and apologize to that person because we have a responsibility to those we've offended. We have a responsibility to that. When you offend someone, and and, and it's not about, well, who offended who or who offended who the words. If I have offended anyone, then I have the responsibility. And then it goes on from there. Because we also have a responsibility, next slide, we also have a responsibility to forgive those who have offended us. We must. Mark chapter 11, verse 25, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. You remember the, uh, the Lord's Prayer? Remember what it says there? It says, forgive us our debts to you as we forgive those who are indebted to us. Or forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us that if we want to receive grace we have to give grace. And so we have to forgive. And it doesn't say when they it doesn't say when they ask you for forgiveness. So when you get, you know, before the judgment seat and that little girl from 4th grade who stole your racers there, that boy beat you up in middle school or that rapist or murderer that didn't ask your forgiveness because you're a part of society and they should have they should have paid their debt or anything. It, it doesn't say anything about that. It says forgive them. If somebody has wronged you today, forgive them. Why does the pastor want to preach this to you today? Why, why do I want to tell you this today? Because as long as you hold on to that unforgiveness, you are going to grow more and more bitter every single day, every week. And, you know, and we got to live with you. Amen. You know, we got to, your spouse has to live with you. Your kids have to put up with you. Your parents have to put up with you. And the more you hold that in, the worse, the more sour you're gonna become. Nobody's gonna to wanna to be around you anymore. Oh, I'm, I'm preaching good whether you're saying amen or not. I mean, we can't stand you when you're that way. Get over it, okay? Because, you know, reality is most of the stuff we get offended about. Ain't going to matter five years from now, right? So why am I holding in? Because, you know I realized a long time ago? I don't know. I don't, I, I actually, I do remember exactly when it happened. I was sitting there. I was upset with somebody that had really done me wrong. And I am just, I'm just still steaming over. And this was a couple of weeks before or a couple of weeks after, a couple of weeks before when this happened. I'm still steaming over it. And, and for some reason, I've, I heard this person, somebody said, so. I saw so-and-so and they were out doing, and they were talking about how they were having a good time at the mall and everything and like that. And God just spoke to me and said, see, now you're holding all that stuff in and they're having a good time. It's time for you to let go of this so that you're not bound by what they did to you. You need to let go of that so you can go have a good time. Can I tell you something, that person that you're offended at, they're probably enjoying life. They're probably not giving their spouse or their kids a, a, a tough time today. But you're still holding this in, growing more and more bitter, and you're pushing people farther and farther and farther away from you. And if you cannot forgive, Jesus tells us in another place what to do. If you cannot let go of it, you need to let go of it. But if you cannot, here's what he says to do. If you, if you absolutely must deal with the, the, the situation, here's how you do it. Matthew 18, 15 through 17 says, if another believer sins against you, y'all see those words? I made sure they were in caps right there. Go privately, y'all know what that is? Privately. That doesn't mean go talk to all your buddies. That doesn't mean get on Facebook, Twitter or anything and tell everybody about how bad you've been done wrong. It means go privately, quietly, silently, without anybody else knowing. If somebody has offended you, if somebody has sinned against you, he said even if they've sinned against you, not if they just offended you a little bit, but if they've sinned against you, go privately. If you can't get over it, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back privately. You don't need a posse. You are, you are a child of God. Listen, to, if I'm, talk, I'm talking to Christians today. You're a child of God. You have not been given the right by God to go tell anybody else about what somebody has done to you except that one person that has done that. You only go to that one person. This seems like a hard thing to do. But the reason you need to know this is, is, is this. This is where most drama in our lives, boy, that's a big word around today, right? Drama. This is where most drama comes from. It's when we mishandle offenses in our life. If you've got a problem with somebody, and you're the one that want, when you start telling anybody else, even your BFF, I just saw a little couple little girls out out not for you. you know they had little BFFs on, so I kind of came to mind. Even your B, you aren't allowed to even tell your BFF. Why? Because you're destroying relationship. And you're not just destroying relationship with you and the person who has wronged you or even sinned against you. You're also destroying relationship between that person and them. That may be somebody that's really close to them and maybe they just messed up that one time. And you know what? I've been wrong times. I've been wronged by people at times and I've gone to them and I, I've confronted them and they say, I didn't even realize I did or said anything and I really meant it as a joke and they apologized and everything was good. And if I had gone out and told five of my best friends, guess what, five of those best friends would have thought that was the worst person in the world because of the way they treated me and now that I've got it figured out it was a mistake, now i got to go back and i got to fix it with those five best friends. You see all the mess that happens, you see all the drama that happens? Look around you and see the drama and imagine, if everybody would just listen to these to direct us from jesus christ we get rid of all the drama in our lives we get rid of all 90 of the drama would just go away in our lives if we would just listen to what christ is saying here so what if they won't listen to me well you, you, you got to forgive them. you got to get it over now these next few verses that's actually just verse 15 verse 16 and 17 there's other like if, you, if that doesn't solve it There's more that that Jesus says there, but that's not really even important because we normally don't get there before we've already messed up. Get these two things in your head. It is time to forgive. When you you have been wronged, forgive. And if you can't get over it, go to that person privately. And you know what I've found a lot of times when somebody comes to me and says, Pastor, somebody has wronged me. And I said, well, have you talked to them about it? And they said, no. And I said, well, let's pick up the phone, call them, see if we can go to their house right now. You know what most people say? They say, well, Pastor, it's not that big a deal. What in the world are you doing talking to me about it then if it's not that big a deal? It's just, it's just that we want to hurt. And we want somebody to know we're hurt. And we got to get over that. Because what are we talking about here today? We're not handling life really well, are we? We're struggling with things. And you know, one of the reasons we're struggling with things is because we're not listening to Jesus tell us how to fix our problems. Uh, next slide, please. Next slide, please. Happiness is not the goal. I couldn't remember which the next one was. Here it is. Happiness is not the goal. Sometimes, some of us would make us happy if we, didn't, if we didn't tell them privately, but we got to tell everybody else, right? <laughs> but happiness is not the goal. See, that's what this world tells you. This world tells you happiness is not the goal. It, happiness is the goal. But this is why many of you are struggling. This is why many of you are discouraged. This is why many people today are depressed. This is why many people are despondent. They just, uh, I don't know what else I'm gonna do. I don't know what is. I just don't have any more answers. This is why, because there's no happiness. Happiness, happiness is not a goal. Happiness is a result. Look look at Ecclesiastes chapter 17, seven verse 14. When times are good, be happy. That, That sounds like, wait a minute, that sounds like you're in control of your happiness. You know what, you really are. You're in control, be happy. When times are good, be happy. Just be happy. Or some people aren't happy when, you know, David used to say about one of her family members, they get to heaven, they're not going to be happy in heaven because there won't be anything to complain about, right? You know, that's the way some of us are. We're not happy even when things are going good. Uh, maybe for just a moment but we got to get right back to all those people that hurt us you know and all that stuff be happy happiness is not it's not something to go after it's not a goal it's a result of things so when good times are good be happy but when times are bad consider this god has made one as well as the other god made the good days god made the bad days well why would god do that doesn't he want me to be happy no he doesn't want you to be happy he wants you to be something more powerful than happy He wants you to be fulfilled. He wants you to be amazingly fulfilled. He wants you to be full of of, of who he is and what life is. He wants you to have life and life more abundantly, not life and life that is happy. There are times that that life isn't just happy. I mean, you know, even, even the founding fathers of this country, they understood that. You remember what they said about happiness? They said the pursuit of. They didn't say that, they, that we would have happiness every day, but we could pursue happiness, we could pursue it. You know, It's something to pursue, baby, but it's not a goal to get to. It is something, look, in, in, in Matthew chapter five, go there, the Beatitudes, you might have heard of the Beatitudes, we've been in Matthew chapter five already today, and, and Jesus says, blessed are they who this, blessed are they who this, blessed are they, and that word blessed there also means happy. We don't use the word blessed, or, uh, you know, except a lot of times on Sunday we do, but we don't say it a lot, you know, the rest of the week. And we Sometimes we don't even really know what it means. You know what it means? It means happy. Okay, here's what, here's what this is meaning. It's not saying that, that happiness is a goal. Happiness is a result of doing the right things and being the right person. That's what, that's what this is saying. Happiness happens to people who do the right things and who live the right way and are the person that God intended that they be. That's what happiness is. That's how you get to happiness. But happiness is not a goal. There are some things much more important than that. You know, there have been a lot of times in my life I didn't need a happy mom. I needed that mom. My cousin used to say about his mom, she was a lot like mine in in, in those days. We remember when we were small. And somebody called one day and asked for his mom. He said, well, she can't come phone right now. And he said, where is she? She's in her bedroom yelling at Jesus. There were days I didn't need a happy mom. I needed a committed mom. I needed a praying mom. I needed a challenging mom. Those founding fathers, if you look at their lives, if you don't know what it was like, you need to, you need to look at a good period piece video, not, 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 not something weird. You need to look at a good period piece video and realize what they went through just so we can have this country. And you need to think back about what your parents have gone through just to get you to this place where you are in life. There have been a lot of days I didn't need a happy uh, sidekick beside me. I needed somebody who is strong beside me somebody who wasn't trying to paint a, a Beautiful picture, but somebody who was saying this is the way it is Rick And this is the only way we're gonna get through it and challenging me and speaking word into me We don't need to be happy all the time. We need to be strong all the time. We need to be fulfilled all the time That's what God wants to happen in your life And that's why he gives us days that are good and days that are bad to challenge us to help us grow Because really, those people who only want your life to be good all the time, they don't really love you. They don't really love you. Those parents that spoil it, they don't really love you. They love themselves. They want you to like them, and so they do that. But God wants you to be fulfilled and you to be in everything. Uh, My my, my next slide, I think, is also, there are moral absolutes. Gotta gotta talk to you about this one just a moment The world today doesn't realize this anymore, that there are moral absolutes. This was an article written in U.S. News and World Report. You see the date? 18 years ago. Uh, John Leo wrote this article 18 years ago. And he was quoting a, a professor. I forget the professor's name. And he said, the kids in my class, this is college, okay? The the college kids in my class, he said, as we were talking about the Holocaust, they said, yes, that was horrible. But he said, said, 10 to 20% of them cannot bring themselves to say, yes, they were wrong. He said, about anything. But this is one specific one. And he said, "One one of the students in the class said, of course, I dislike the Nazis. But who is to say they are morally wrong? That's a head scratcher there. Of course, we, I, don't, I don't like that. But who is to say they're morally wrong? Two other studies that John Leo quotes says that basically here's what students were saying is that because no one has the right to criticize moral views of another group or another culture. That they disagree, yes, we disagree with the Holocaust, yes, we disagree with slavery, yes, agree, we disagree with ethnic cleansing, but who has the right to criticize the moral views of another group of culture? That's what the world is trying to tell you today, that, that we, we don't have any moral absolutes anymore, there are no, there are no sins that are sin, there, there is no thing that everybody is supposed to do and supposed to, that there are no moral absolutes. This was 18 years ago, I, I, I gotta believe it, probably hasn't gotten any better. Because we we continue to hear this same message spoken and spoken and spoken is that there are no moral absolutes, but the world tried to come up with some. Doctor Keith, what is his name? Keith, uh, Dr. Kent M. Keith. He came up with this several just several years ago. He is a, he is a guy that has studied moral uh, virtues and moral codes and of conduct throughout cultures of history and, and cultures all over the world even today. And so he said, you know, there, there are a few things that we do hold as universal moral codes. Before you read through that, okay, I, I know some of you are already reading there. Before you read through that, I, I just want you to get this. This is not a theologian. This is not a church. This is not a church-sanctioned study that somebody did. This is This is a academician this is a you know an intellectual who is who has been studying the mores and the cultural uh, habits of countries uh, all throughout history and, and and even today and he says these are the universal moral codes these are things we all ought- All over the world, we pretty much all agree together. There are are some deviants. There are some wicked, evil people out there. He said, but this is what all cultures embrace. And and I had to cut them down. I had to squeeze some of them together, cut them down. They're not all all there, but you can find the link if you want to read all of this and read his article. You can find it on the Sunday's page. Do not lie, steal, cheat, or falsely accuse others. Did I hear that lately? Do not commit adultery or incest. Wait a minute. Did I not hear that not not too long ago? Do not physically or verbally abuse others. Do not murder. Do to others what you want them to do to you. I recall somebody else saying that. Be honest, fair, and generous. Be faithful to family and friends. Take care of your children when young. Take care of your parents when they're old. Take care of those who can't take care of themselves. Be kind to strangers. All of that sounds vaguely, no, extremely familiar. Because if I didn't know any better, I would say this man is a preacher. He's just been studying the Bible because half of that is right from the Ten Commandments that you and I talked about the last two weeks. And the rest of it is in the teachings of Jesus Christ and some of, uh, some of that weird stuff in there about incest. I mean, we don't talk about incest. You know, that's Old Testament stuff, right? You know, we don't even talk about that kind of stuff, but it's there. It's in the word of God. Here's the thing. Yes, there are universal moral codes, and it's not because God said it in his word. It's because he's put them inside of us we know these things. We live this way. We know that. And when we, when, when we break these universal moral codes, these things that are, that are right all the time or wrong all the time, when we break these things, we know it immediately in our heart because God has put that there. There is, there are rights and wrongs. Oh, what's my next slide? I, I, I need to really hurry. Um, let, me, let me throw this at you. Isaiah chapter five, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. I just wanted you to see this. That, you know, God does speak about that. There are people who want to say, no, no this, this, this. He, No, 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 no. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness? Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter? Every person in this room has tasted sugar and sugar is sweet to every person in this room. It is an absolute. There may be some weird people out there with some kind of a medical problem or whatever that it doesn't taste, but every one of you, sugar is sweet. And just as sugar is sweet and persimmons are bitter, Just as light dispels darkness all of the time, close all the windows, black everything out, turn off all these lights, light one candle, and that light begins to dispel the darkness. Just as sure as sugar is sweet and persimmons are bitter and light always dispels darkness, there are some absolutes in this world and in this universe that you can take to the bank always. They always are. And and let me throw this in real quick. Is we are not called to fight the darkness. We're called to turn on the light. So turn on the light. Wherever you are, just start turning on the light. Amen. Go on, go on to my next one real quick. What's, uh, we, we were all messed up. Oh, man, I got a bunch of these here because all of y'all messed up. Y'all know that, right? Man, y'all are messed up. Let, let's read them real quick. Romans 3, verse 10 and 23. As it's written, there is none righteous, no, not even one. For all is sin and come short of the glory of God. This is going to be really encouraging to you, okay, that you're all messed up. First uh, John chapter 1, verse 8 and 10. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Well, if you say I'm not messed up, you're just deceiving yourself. If we claim we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar and his word is not in us. They we'll go on to the next, uh, next slide. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through the first part of 11. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. Boy, Paul's just getting mean right here, isn't he? I mean, is he pointing his fingers. That's what some of you were. Amen. That's what we were. We were so messed up. And then in Ephesians chapter two, I believe it is. Next, next slide. Ephesians chapter two, first three verses. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. You were messed up. Okay, and I wanted, I wanted you to really get this. You were messed up. You, whatever you've got in life, you didn't do it. You didn't create that. You didn't make, God has done that in you. You were messed up. So now let me take you to the rest of those verses. See, because we, we skipped some things. Let, let me back up, go ahead. The next, the next page, it, it, here's some really good news. God uses messed up people. Amen. You know, in verses 8 and 10 where it says if we claim to not be messed up, we're lying and we're calling God a liar. We're just deceived. I skip skip verse 9 in there. Look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Yeah, you were messed up. But if you confess your sins. He will purify you from unrighteousness. Uh, First Corinthians, I think, is the next one. Uh, you know, and that's the one where it, uh, we ended, where it says, "And that is what some of you were, but, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of God." Yes, you were a mess, but you've been washed, you've been sanctified. And you remember that one that says we were guilty, we were we were guilty and should uh, receive the wrath. That's in Ephesians chapter two. We, we, we were guilty of these things. Let's look at it. Here's the rest of it. It says, we deserve the wrath of God. This is what it said in the very next verse. But, thank God. That's one of those big awesome ones where God says, but, or nevertheless, in the scripture, thank God for He says, but, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. He's talking about spiritually speaking, we're not here spiritually, we're right there with him. We are raised up, we're exalted with him in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace man we need to stop here and preach for about 10 minutes about his grace being so rich that it's incomparable to anything else and that's what he has shown to us expressed in his kindness to us in christ jesus for we are god's handiwork man you were messed up but today But today by the blood of Jesus and by his grace and mercy you're now God's handiwork what you have I I know you're still struggling with life but you're God's handiwork look at the beauty that is around you look at the amazing what God has already built in your life and what more can he do God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do we say it around here all the time everyone has something awesome to do for Jesus He created you that way, he made you that way, and you you messed up a lot of stuff, but now he has started working on you, now you're becoming his handiwork to do awesome things that he purposed that you would do a long, long time ago. I like how D.L. Moody, he kind of explained Moses' life. Moses lived 120 years. I like how D.L. Moody, kind of encapsulated it. He said, Moses spent 40 years growing up in the palace of Pharaoh thinking he was somebody. Then he spent the next 40 years on the backside of the desert watching somebody else's sheep uh, realizing he was a nobody. And then he spent the next 40 years as God's man leading the children of Israel through the wilderness on their way to the Promised Land, stretching his, his staff over the Red Sea and seeing it parted, calling water out from a rock, calling bread out of heaven. He spent those next 40 years learning how God can use a nobody. That's who you and I are. And God can use nobodies. As messed up as you are, God can use nobodies. Would you stand with me? Would you come to the front? and? If you're a first-time attender, we like to close around front with the final song, and the final prayer, and I'd love to have you join us if you'll feel comfortable. So please come and join us. Prayer team, if you'd get in place. I need to show you, let uh, me go back to that one I'm, I'm planning on using it right here. Go back with this note. What's my, you got the next slide? Or is there not another one? Did we miss it? There we go. You must own your growth. Let me throw this at you really quick. I can't do it for you. Your pastor cannot do it for you. Your mom can't do it for you. Your, your best friend in the church can't do it for you. You must own your own growth. You have to own it. I can't make you stronger in God, your mom can't make you stronger in God, your best friend can't make you stronger in God. You have to do it. Make it real simple for you. Three things. Pray constantly. You know what that means? That means have conversations with God all day long. Just realize he's always there and just talk to him all day long. Now you need some time that just you and God kind of sit and talk a little bit, okay? If you're going to really be good friends with somebody, you can't just text them all day. Every once in a while you need to sit down and have coffee. Okay? That's what we talk about really having prayer with God. But you just need to talk to God all day. All right, and then, and then read, read the Bible, at least a little bit every day. If, if you've never done this, at least, go, there are so many good apps out there. The Bible app from Life Church is, is probably one of the most used in churches today, and I wholeheartedly support it. If you go there, you can find all kinds of places where you can just get a reminder every day of just a, a scripture. If all you can do is read one verse, every one of us can do that. You can read one verse, but when you realize how much God loves you, you get that note that says, I like you. Do you like me? Yes, no, or maybe. I believe you're going to want to read more than one verse, but start with just one verse if that's all you can do. And then imitate God. Imitate Jesus. Do what he would do. On Sunday morning, get up and go to church like he would go to church. They always knew where to find him. They didn't know where he was. If it was time of prayer, they knew where Jesus was. They could find Jesus. He was where he was supposed to be. What would Jesus do when your your boss treats you like a bully, when he's a bully? What would Jesus do when your best friends ignore you? Start imitating Jesus. Very simple. Own your growth by doing those three things. Talk to God just like he's there with you all the time. Just talk to him. Read the word because in the word of God, you're going to find the answers to a lot of the questions that you, you're, you're like, well, how in the world? Read the word of God. M- more than me sending you to counseling, and I've got a great counselor friend I would send any of you to, but more than that, what you need today is you need to read the word of God and then imitate Jesus. Just, just, just. If you don't know what to do, think about now, what would Jesus do in my position? You gotta remember, yeah, Jesus, he, he, was, he was doing it, but he has given you the same powers. What would Jesus do in my position? I, I, I wanna be very direct with you today. How many of you need amazing in your life this week? Raise your hand up. I need some amazing in my life in some way. Okay, here's what I'm gonna tell you to do. The second thing right. Uh, I meant that first thing right there, pray. Pray constantly. There are some of you who need a job you need a new job or some of you are without a job, some of you need a better job, I'm going to ask you right now, if you need a job, if I were to ask you this question, how many of you need a job, some of you would slip up your hand right now, but I'm going to ask you this, and I feel like God wants us to do this today, if you need a job, I'm going to ask you to step forward right now and just take the hand of one of these prayer team members and say, pray with me right now, I want a job this week, I want to see God do that. Who needs a job this week? This is what God said, I want to be very direct with you today, I don't, I don't, want, I don't want to just I want to take advantage of you by saying, raise your hand. Okay, now that you guys raise your hand, you come up forward. Somebody who needs a job today, come on, several of you need a job today. Somebody step forward and say, I want this. Some of you, your, your family is under attack. Come on, somebody say amen. Your family is under attack and, 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 and I'm ready for us to have victory over this attack. This attack has, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It means we got a bad enemy out there who's fighting us. I'm ready for my family to be victorious over this. I'm ready for this thing to finish, be ended this week. Who's that? Step forward, take a hand to the per, one of these, uh, take a hand of one of these prayer team members and say in Jesus' name, Jesus' name, I'm ready for this to be over. I'm ready for this to be over. Go ahead. I'm not gonna mention everybody's need in this room today. I'm not gonna mention it, but if you've got one, you just need to move on forward right now. Some of those that didn't move because you got but you do, need a, you do need a job, come on forward. We got prayer team members still waiting. We Got some over here, we got a prayer team. Somebody sick in body, the Word of God says, if you're sick in body, call for somebody to pray for you and the prayer of faith will save the sick. If you walk out of here sick today, it's not my responsibility, it's not the prayer team. I never, first time attenders, I want you to know, I never push like this. Those of you who are, come here all the time, I never push like this, except this week, God says, You push my people to pray today and let them see me move in my power and my spirit. Come and let us pray with you today. Jamie, go ahead when you can.